Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, everybody. It's Vanessa. We have something a little bit different for you than usual. Instead of us looking closely at a chapter of Jane Eyre in the typical way, what we have for you is a chapter of my book, Praying with Jane Eyre. Last week, we talked about the fact that Jane calls Miss Temple's new husband her destiny. And I wrote a chapter of my book on that moment and what it is that we can learn about destiny in our own lives from this like turn of phrase from Jane. And so we are going to play you the audiobook version of that chapter, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, you can buy my book or order it from the library and hear more. We'll be back with chapters 11 and 12 next week. I hope you enjoy. Chapter 6 On Destiny A kind fairy in my absence had surely dropped the required suggestion on my pillow. Chapter 10, Jane Eyre I don't remember where we were, walking from somewhere to somewhere else. We were probably walking pretty slowly, and we were probably arm in arm, because Papa was already quite elderly, 90 at least. I also don't remember what I had said that made him say this to me, probably something overly simplistic and dumb. But one day, Peppa said to me, you should be grateful for the Holocaust. You wouldn't be here without it. The only thing I remember about the rest of the conversation is that I replied at some point, I'm not sure that's how it works. I don't know what he meant by that comment, really but I cannot imagine that he looked at me, a true product of the Holocaust, who wouldn't exist in any way without it, and thought, worth it. I don't think he did the moral calculus. The closest I can get to a theory is that he really thought I was so removed from the Holocaust that I could be grateful for it because I now had this life. 
which, given the life that he inadvertently helped provide for me, sort of makes sense. I also think he was making a joke. All this is to say, I think he meant it and that he didn't. But if we take him at face value, which was almost always a mistake with Peppa, then what he was saying was, you were destined to exist, and the Holocaust was part of that process to get you here. Which, while untrue, is an important idea to grapple with, because it is a logic that is built into the way we think, the decisions we make, and even the language we use. Everything will be fine, people like to say. It isn't true. Everything will be. Things will unfold, but everything definitely will not be fine. I don't believe in destiny. I can't. If I did, I'd have to believe that my grandparents were destined to go through hell, and I was destined to experience privilege. I am obsessed with stories of kidnapped women, from Elizabeth Smart to the Chibok schoolgirls kidnapped by Boko Haram. And I am obsessed with them in a highly problematic way. I don't want any tenet I live my life by to exclude them. So in trying to carry them with me, I, of course, objectify them and reduce them to their victimhood. Destiny, it seems to me, is the belief of the lucky or the desperate. I think we can make meaning of our hardships. We can be grateful for the lessons we have learned through them and the people we have met because of them without being grateful for the hardships themselves. Happily married people believe they were destined to find each other. Only a truly depressed, self-loathing person, who I believe is entitled to love and outreach, believes that they are destined to be lonely if they do not choose to be alone. In fact, a psychiatrist would probably diagnose such a person's belief in destiny as some sort of disorder. Psychologists certainly diagnose those who believe they are destined for too high a level of greatness. Believing in destiny seems to be a sickness of kings, like gout. I want to get rich without the destiny belief, or gout. So the luckier I get, the more I want to hold on to my belief in the arbitrary nature of things, in a confluence of luck and a few choices plus personality, privilege, and circumstance. It is important to me not to believe in destiny, as long as there are still girls in basements, men in prison, and trans people being discriminated against for who they are. One cannot sum up Jane's exact theology or summarize her beliefs in the novel. They are unclear because the story takes place over about 20 years, and her beliefs change over the course of her life which is, of course, a good thing. She contradicts herself regularly. One of the most quoted lines from the novel is, I would always rather be happy than dignified. Its popularity frustrates me. 
Jane says it more than 100 pages and many traumatizing incidents after she says, laws and principles are not for the times when there is no temptation. They are for moments such as this, when body and soul rise in mutiny against their rigor. She nearly starves to death between these two sentiments. Of course, I understand why people pull out the quote as inspiration. We should learn from the conclusions that our heroes come to, not the silly thoughts that they have moved past. I get annoyed because I want all the context around the statement. The lesson of choosing happiness over dignity is one that Jane earns, and I, without wishing suffering upon anyone, believe that we all have to earn it a little. Besides, how do we know that Jane still feels this way 20 years after the book ends? She might, after years of comfort, choose dignity again. As far as we can pin it down, her personal theology seems to be, at minimum, a jumble of things. She painstakingly draws Judeo-Christian angels and talks of pagan fairies and sprites. She doesn't believe in fine clothing when it is Rochester who will foot the bill. But when we see her come into her own money, she realizes that it wasn't the nice clothes she objected to, but someone else buying them for her. Jane learns about herself, and her beliefs evolve with her. The novel is therefore a little murky on the grand ideas of destiny and fate. When Jane finds herself in the situation that leads to her nearly starving to death, she, completely by luck, ends up on the doorstep of people who turn out, hundreds of pages later, to be her cousins who she never knew existed. This seems to be a clear argument for believing in some kind of fate. Jane acts purely, relying on her principles to guide her, to be rewarded with shelter, food, and family. But there are other moments in the text when it is clear that Jane does not believe in fate. She does not think it was fated that Aunt Reed be so awful to her. Jane believes that had her uncle lived, she would have had a comfortable childhood in which she would not have gone to Lowood, become a governess, or met Rochester. She also believes that Aunt Reed chose to resent Jane so much and that she would have accepted her aunt's love if it had been offered. Fate and destiny are at play at certain times in the novel and gone at others. What Jane and the novel seem to consistently believe in, however, is a little bit of magic. We see this one everlasting belief revealed fairly early on in the book. Jane has finished her education at Lowood, which has been made much better after an audit of the abuses of the children. Several children died in a typhoid epidemic including Jane's best friend, Helen. But the losses led to a great improvement in the quality of life for the remaining students. 
Jane ended up flourishing at Lowood so much that she was offered a teacher's position there and stayed on in that capacity for a few years after her schooling was over. She, after all, really had nowhere to go. Eventually, Miss Temple leaves Lowood to get married. Jane calls Miss Temple's new husband Destiny, for it is he who gets Jane to finally leave Lowood by taking Miss Temple away from her. Because once Miss Temple is gone, Jane does not feel as though Lowood can be her home. So even though Jane still has nowhere to go, she realizes that she has to leave. It is the very day that Miss Temple goes off with her new husband that Jane realizes that she must go to. Suddenly, Lowood feels like a prison, and Jane feels like she has been sent to live in exile. When she had to be there and learn, and it kept her away from Gateshead and the Reeds, it was a necessity. When she was choosing to stay as a teacher, it was a fairly good life. But now that she is there for no other reason than because she has nowhere else to go, it is suffocating her. She has a sense of urgency in her need to leave, and she starts to take action immediately. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com She sets aside some time to give the problem of where she should go and how she should support herself some real thought. She waits until her roommate is snoring, and she then lies down, gets up, and paces around their shared room, effectively alone. She lies down again, all the while thinking it through, where she can go next. Jane, in part, wants what she wants because she finds that there is, quote, no use wanting anything better. Her dreams are shackled. She spends no time fantasizing about the best possible options for what she can do next. She skips all dreams and goes straight to pragmatism. For a long time, nothing comes to her. She simply gets up, lies down, and frets. Eventually, she physically exhausts herself, and it is then that she figures out what to do next. 
how she reports it is that, quote, a kind fairy in my absence had surely dropped the required suggestion on my pillow. For as I lay down, it came quietly and naturally to my mind. What I love about the scene is that it is, to some extent, Jane's hard work that gets her to the idea that she needs. She literally paces herself to a good idea. As someone who is obsessed with walking and is similarly obsessed with meditating on the ways that women are locked up, the poetry of Jane being able to walk herself to an epiphany, even while trapped in a small space with a woman snoring in the same room, delights me. It is a brief pilgrimage of the mind that she goes on in this moment, one in which she's able to imagine herself out of her current cell. There is precedent for this kind of internal, entirely imaginative pilgrimage. Teresa of Avila, a 16th-century Carmelite nun, who was trying to empower her fellow nuns in her convent in Spain during the height of the Inquisition, told the nuns that they could go on pilgrimages of the mind to their interior castles. Because the nuns were not allowed to do the same types of devotional practices as their male colleagues, Teresa's idea of the ability to meditate one's way into all spiritual practices that really matter is a beautiful one. But this promise that all we really need can be conjured from within us is complicated. I am worried about the idea that we don't need earthly things like the freedom to travel or pursue any career we want, while such ideas can give solace or allow people like Jane to make bold, practical decisions, they can also keep people complacent. Really, I wish that the nuns had had the power to throw the Catholic Church over and become priests themselves if they wanted it. I worry that Teresa's invitation to explore one's interior castles is as much about placation as it is about empowerment. Spiritual escapes are empowering and important, but they are not enough to satisfy me. And Jane, in this scene where magic comes to her aid, seems to embody the ability for the mind to go on this journey of the soul, while literally, physically, hitting the walls of its freedom. She is able to pace her way to an epiphany of escape, It is an epiphany grounded in compromise, but still has action as a necessary component. The notion of working one's way to freedom, be it financial freedom, the freedom from discrimination that can come with certain kinds of success, or even behaving well enough to be let out of literal imprisonment, quote-unquote, early, is a very American notion, that one minute you can be stuck in obscurity and then you can work your way to a better destiny. And it is an alluring story. We as a culture want to hold on to it because it means that we hold our fates in our own hands. But we know that our fates are actually determined by, for example, whether there was lead in the paint in our homes when we were crawling around as children and putting our hands in our mouths 
more than it will ever be determined by 40 years of hard work. We have an American idea that hard work is our destiny, and yet we know that is not true. We know it isn't always the deserving who win, and we know that often the lazy and truly terrible thrive. So what I really love about Jane having a fairy leave her the solution that she has been waiting for is that the hard work is necessary, but it is not enough. At the end of the day, it isn't even luck. It is something that cannot be explained at all. At 22, I was the assistant character in The Devil Wears Prada for a year. My monster of a boss, as he was taking off for a flight to Milwaukee, told me he needed something notarized that night. It was already five in the evening in Milwaukee as I frantically called from New York to find a notary. I called about 30 places. Nowhere in the city would notarize after 5 p.m., but my boss insisted he needed it before 9 o'clock the following morning. I called a Kinko's. The man told me, you won't believe this, but I just made business cards for the first 24-hour notary in Wisconsin. Do you want the number? When my boss returned from Wisconsin, he preached on and on about what had happened as if it had been an allegory of his high demands and my hard work leading to us receiving our due. I remember staring at him and boiling with rage. Men with assistance can believe fate and hard work are a one-to-one ratio, I thought. But I knew the truth. It was a kind fairy. Jane, from the beginning to the end of the book, believes in fairies. It is one of her few unchanging beliefs. She never relies on fairies. She only believes in them after the fact, after something good has already happened. So granted, in this scene, she believes in fairies only after forcing her mind to think for hours, staring at stars, pacing, and enduring some decent insomnia. But she believes in fairies. The question becomes, what is a fairy? Part of me wants to define a fairy by what it isn't. It isn't all the things that we believe actually cause destiny. Fairies are not hard work, money, luck, race, religion, gender, the time in which you're born, your health, inspiration, or whether there was lead in the paint when you were at the crawling age. Fairies can be seduced, but they require consent. Fairies are our reasoned imaginings. The thing Jane imagines when she is trapped in the Red Room is that a ghost will come to her. That is the best she can conjure in that room. Now she is able to conjure an idea to get her out of Lowood into, quote, a new servitude. The fairy does not leave her the idea of becoming a princess or a being of big adventures, as much as we know Jane longs for them. But it does present Jane with a leap. 
fairies show us what is beyond the walls of wherever it is that we are trapped. As committed as I am to my atheism, I don't want to be an atheist who thinks everything can be explained by science. Jane's fairies are my way back into contemplating destiny as a possibility to flirt with on occasion. Because I think fairies, reasonable imagination, can find their way into the basement where the Chibok girls are. And I think it's possible that as dire as Auschwitz was, some people there, for brief moments, whether or not they survived, had brief sightings of fairies. Fairies aren't destiny. Destiny is the man who took Miss Temple away. Destiny is the tanks that rolled in. Destiny is the big choices of people and systems. Fairies are the imagination that brings Jane the idea to search for a governess position by placing an advertisement in the paper. The life that Jane will live will be a negotiation between these powers and her fairies. Not everyone can conjure fairies. Not only is it not their fault that they cannot conjure them, but they are to be applauded for not thinking of something as simple as fairies in places like Auschwitz or prison or abusive homes or chemotherapy wards or, frankly, sometimes just about anywhere on Earth. But some people have access to fairies in the darkest of places. My grandparents survived death. I'm not sure whether they did it with or without the help of fairies. I live with severe depression, and we know that trauma is inherited. I wonder if part of my depression is knowing that my existence hinges on such a horrible thing having happened. How can you be grateful for a life that was ill-gotten gains? I am the fruit of the poisonous tree. My fairies are all from Poland and bring me stories of women in basements. The patriarchy that is my destiny has been kind to me, but I need to keep pacing to conjure more and different kinds of fairies. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com